save the likes of me. Of Hagar. Of Noah. Of so many that stand before you. We stand because of you. say thank you for what you did for us. Which leaves us with the reality we've just witnessed. It's not time stamped. It's for people in their 90s and children. It's for people that are starting out I pray that everything we've witnessed today will be way more than charming. It will change us. Because you can do the same in me. In Jesus' name. Amen. Would you go ahead and have a seat as you children, we love you and we want you to experience more of Jesus heading right now, and um, and I think it'll be real exciting for you as well. Uh, <clears throat> I am uh, very touched always when I think of baptism, and and uh, of course it's it's kind of a privilege to be able to be the one baptizing you. But some of the most touching baptisms for me have been to watch as a mom or a dad baptizes their son or daughter, even a best friend, a campus leader, uh, doesn't matter. There's nothing in the Bible that says you got to have a, you know, an MDiv or, you know, a PhD or, you know, you got to be ordained or something to do that. It's just introducing people to Jesus and watching as uh, this is so cool man this is so cool welcome back man I uh, watching as God works and he wants to work in me and you and all of us what a great way to start the new year right wow new year 2024 it's uh wow what's new what's what's new I'll tell you a couple things that aren't. Um, there are wars that continue, and there are worries. Hey, not to be left out, Hayden. You're the man, buddy. Um, it's really true. There's uh, got to thinking. Okay, so what? What can be new? What can be talked about? What's uh, something that should be highlighted? And uh, of course, today we begin a new series, and I want to introduce that to you. I want to introduce it with a um, kind of a surprise discovery I made, actually, in my research. Uh, <clears throat> we, we do have wars. We do have worries. Uh, some of them just don't respect the calendar and go away with January 1, right? We know that's true. But um, uh, there, there is one fairly new thing that I thought, man, I just can't ignore it, and I don't dare try to hide it. So 
let's just um, let's talk about something that's in the news. And it uh, depends on where you are with technology. Some of you are real excited and will be excited when I mention what I'm talking about. Others of you will be uh, you know, shaking your head going, you know, he's coming soon. He's coming soon, you know. And I'm talking about um, artificial intelligence. It's called AI for you that are a little more informed. So um, there's a, uh, speaking of AI, there's a new application, and this is, um, this is true, that you have to wonder about, um, and you'll have to wonder it for probably forever, especially when you're in church, because you're going to wonder, is that message that that pastor just presented a result of time he spent with Jesus and, uh, and he was moved, inspired, um, sort of anointed, if you will, by the Holy Spirit to say the things he's going to say or, or, or did say. Or you're going to have to wonder, did he subscribe to one of the <laughs> AI sermon creator platforms? There's a very nervous chuckle going on in this room right now. <laughs> and you want my answer right now, don't you? <laughs> uh, for real, they are out there, and they claim, on top of what I just said, that you'll never know the difference. You'll never know. You're shaking your head like I did when I read this. Um, uh, here's an actual, and um, it's, an, it's an ad that's likely to tempt, I'll just say it, more than a few pastors in the future. Um, it has this header. You know what a header is? You're going through, you're uh, surfing the net, and you're looking for information. Some of you are doing it right now and missing a great sermon. Then again, you're not sure it's mine, right? <laughs> so I get that. I get that. So this one's the header. I wrote it down because you had to hear it as, as it is. Try it free today was the thing that grabbed your attention. And I'm thinking, well, that can be a lot of things. But what's this? The caption underneath, unlock fresh, listen to every word, copyright free, Sermon resources with our free AI sermon generator. There's more. Use, tweak, and share. No citations, no credits. Then this final statement. I'm really proud of this statement. Preaching freedom in its purest form. End quote. Uh, what could possibly be bad about that? <laughs> no Holy Spirit, that's a good start. Um, really nothing except those pesky kind of dated words like honesty, integrity, 
Here's one for you. It's a little bigger word. Plagiarism. Okay, and oh yeah, that that little limiter, thou shalt not lie. Right? Anyone. Think of the possibilities in your future plans. You could become a preacher. Just go to our website today and don't tell anybody you did. So there's something that's crazy about that but it got your attention and uh, and and there's something that's not new that has had my attention for a long time in fact I'll go back decades to the first memory I have of encountering what I'm going to tell you now so it's not new this is an out of my research this week but these are words of warning that the Apostle Paul wrote to his, uh, call him an understudy, that would be fair, that would be accurate. His name's Timothy. And um, I want to read them to you. You can turn there. I'll, I'll be in two passages this morning. This one's in 2 Timothy. It happens to be his last letter before he was face-to-face with Jesus and went home. And 2 Timothy chapter 3 are the words I want to read. There are five verses at the beginning of that chapter. So find your way to 2 Timothy chapter 3. And um, at the outset of this new sermon series, uh, I think it makes a lot of sense that I read these words. Mark this, my Bible reads. Some translations say, realize this. Others say, take note of this. We could say today, don't miss this. Okay, you with me? So, mark this, Paul says, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves. Lovers of money. Boastful. Proud. Abusive disobedient to their parents. I slow down with each statement so you get a visual. Ungrateful. Unholy. Without love. And what comes with that is unforgiveness. Verse 3, slanderous. Without self-control. Brutal, not lovers of good things, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And then they're going to, verse 5, clothe it in spiritual ease. They will have a form of godliness, but they will deny its power. And who is its power? Jesus.
Jesus Christ and the Spirit of the living God. They will deny its power in his final conclusion, so have nothing to do with such people. This uh, five verses, these five verses, uh, actually inspired me many years ago, 10 years ago now, to write a book. And I wrote the book and just haven't published it because I went really deep with this. And I, and I couldn't escape um, the words that we just read bothered me um, for two reasons. And I, and I reflected on that, and I, I think I have to say they still bother me for the same two reasons. The first is this. Those things, I'll just say it, seem to be the world I live in today. Now, remember, I'm part of that world. So don't hear that as a guy going like this. But, but it's, there's a lot of that, these things we just read. So because of what he said at the beginning, terrible times in the last days, does that mean that these are the last days? And, and that, that very well may be the case. I'm certainly not going to give you a suggestion that they aren't. But it gets way more personal from there to the question that really hits hard, or I think it should. And that is this question. Are these things true of my life today? We might all be quick to say, well, yeah. That's the world I live in too, Pastor. That's, that's the deal. But maybe less quick to say that's also to some extent me. Not all of it, but some of it. As I ask that question, you, you really should take it personal. That was my intent. But can I say something about the whole Bible? Everything you read in here, is intended for you and for me. It's not meant ever. You hear me say that all the time. This is not a, uh, you know, a museum. You can look at this. It's whole souls. Ever. Read, this is not in my intended notes, read 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 to 13, and everything you're reading there are things that happened long before Paul wrote that letter, way back in the Old Testament. And he says, everything was written for our instruction. Those things happened as examples for, I just always personalize that, for Stephen Crabtree. And that's a good way to put it. Read 1 Corinthians. Some of you are taking notes. I'm glad you do. I take time to write those questions out. I hope you'll read them and visit with them in conversation uh, at lunch or wherever you happen to be life group. So um, I've been reading a book that, um, that has me asking similar hard questions that I just presented to you. Uh, it was written by a Jesus lover and a pastor named Sky Jathani. You get extra credit and first dibs at donuts afterwards if you can spell that name without help. Uh, it's not S-K-Y. You're already off if you have that. But Sky Jathani, okay? 
He's a Jesus lover and a true pastor and a, and a man that walks with Jesus. Um, in short chapters, you'll see what I mean. If you get the book, you may even get a stack of them in here, a little bag. In short chapter after short chapter, he examines words of Jesus carefully. And he's the guy, you've read a book like this, who often um, does so to a point leaving the reader, in this case me, feeling uncomfortable. You know that? You're going, I can't read this more like, ah, it's too much. Or maybe I don't go that far, but I feel it. You've read that kind of book, right? Uh, you even say to yourself, man, move on, bro. This is, this is getting a little edgy, a little uncomfortable. I know, I know. I, some sermons are like that. Maybe this one, I'll let you know. I know. It's not my purpose. Um, so Sky uh, examines what many wise Christian writers and thinkers have been pondering. Okay? Um, in Western culture where we live today, there is a steep spiritual decline. How many find, if you find that shocking, raise your hand. I mean, there's, you know, I could say the number. If you believe in that, raise your hand. Everybody's, yeah, of course you do. So there's a steep spiritual decline. You say, well, what's behind that? What do you mean by those words? It's very simple. For the last 25 years, 25 years, that's the mid-90s, late 90s, to the present day, 40 million people have left the, the community we call the church. 40 million. These are, these are adults, and they're alive today. The one thing that's not a part of their routine is church and what it represents. That's an that's a inescapable reality. So, um, and an inescapable question after hearing that is, why? What explains that? The leadership of Grace Point is reading a book called The De-Churching of America. And it is so rooted in research. You can't scoff at it and burn it like, you know, you don't want to do that. It's a reality. So what I just said is true. But today, a second reality. Hostilities are on the rise against all things Christian. Okay. Um, there are some people that know that and are quick to say, well, something later in 2 Timothy 3. Just go down to verse 12 and you'll see. Indeed, all who desire to live godly, verse 12 says, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, that's me, I want to, will be persecuted. Not might, if you're unfortunate or unlucky, it will happen. So some people say, well, um, that's it. It's just, you know, that's, um, or is it? Can we really say our troubles are just from a force outside of ourselves? You know where I'm going. 
or is the problem, at least in part, within? If you're new with us, you need to know something. I don't take shots at anybody. I don't do that. I never have, and I won't. This, that, what I just said is not an, a veiled expression of that. It's talking about the church that loves stories like we just heard because they're true. And lives are being changed, and we need to deal with why not more. Okay? Um, so maybe our problem isn't just outside, but it might have something to do within. Here's Jathani's probing assessment. I'm quoting. What if the underlying malady afflicting Christians today isn't that we take Jesus too seriously and somehow the world just gets like, you guys are gross, you're too clean. But that we have failed to take him seriously enough. What if much of the culture's judgment of Christians isn't the result of obeying Jesus, but rather the result of Christians actually ignoring why these chapters are short. Consider this. Jesus' most famous message. Uh, how many would say what that is? Sermon on the Mount. You know it well. And, it, and the best read of it, if you're new to the Bible, grab a Bible. And in the first of four Gospels, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, go there. And you will read the most extensive single account. There's others in both Mark and in Luke. The, the two of the other Gospels. But Matthew 5, 6, and 7 make up the Sermon on the Mount. And it's the basis of many people's opinions of Jesus. Uh, to some, it's simply too radical. Uh, others have concluded that it's really hyperbole. It's loaded with hyperbole. Jesus was saying if you're I causes you to stumble, do what? Gouge it out. Oh, that's gross. Did you know that's in the Bible? Yes, it is. Good. Well, I don't think Jesus was saying that let's get a bunch of blind people walking around who praise my name. Um, I think Jesus was saying something serious. So that may be uh, what we could correctly call hyperbole. But is the whole 5, 6, and 7 hyperbole? I think not. Sometimes people do say it's, it's really meant to describe an ideal, something that would be great to aspire because we know what vision does for people. But reality, uh, it's really, it, it can't be viewed as a sermon that's terribly practical. Um, even so, if you were to read just the last few verses of the sermon, you need to know these are not Jesus' words that in verse 7, I'm in Matthew 7 now. I told you two passages. Matthew 7, where the Sermon on the Mount is all recorded, and it ends in verse 28 of chapter 7. When Jesus had finished saying these things, this is a reporter's assessment. It's like a guy listening to this sermon right now, or a gal, and you leave here and you go out and you report. I don't know. A news camera is filming. What was it like hearing him today? 
and you report this in this case it was Jesus Jesus had finished saying these things and the crowds were amazed I'm reading from verse 28 at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law any way you slice that if you forget everything about that remember this people heard five six and seven the sermon on the mountain they went that's amazing. That's the look and sound of amazed. They didn't have to say a word. They just went, wow. So, um, I've told you about a movie. I don't know if it's called a movie. It's probably a, a series now, I guess I would call it. The Chosen. How many watched The Chosen? So, you know that in The Chosen, they've spent two episodes talking about this message, Sermon on the Mount. And they focus on individuals for good reason. They're, they're taking a close-up look, and, um, and, and they, they're, they're seeing the impact of the words as Jesus preached them, capturing images of people that are like, I've got stuff I need to do. I've got to change up some. I've got to go say I'm sorry. I've got to clean up my personal life somehow. And on and on it goes. Um, and I think that was very true on the mountainside the day Jesus preached this. Okay, so let's just say that. But I think it's also true of more than a few today. Unfortunately, who have the same access to these words, and yet they they kind of put them in a category that says, that's great teaching, comma, but not to be practiced at home. We call that a disconnect. Okay? Um, Jathani was fascinated with this in this book, and so he taught it, room full of students, taking notes. And as a good teacher, and if we had time to do it in the context that it worked in, we would ask similar questions. But he asked his class, um, tell me what you think about these words. We've heard the word radical. We've heard, wow, um, what's, a, what's this about? And I thought it would be fascinating, maybe because I'm going to tell you some of their responses very quickly, uh, because they might be one of your responses, at least to some degree, or maybe somebody you know. Okay, so here's one. It's impossible to obey, somebody said with their hands in the air about this sermon. No one can live like that, they said. A next person said, oh, well, that was just a picture showing how we all need God's grace. He was illustrating, this person went on to say, Jesus was illustrating what a perfect life looks like and how none of us can attain it. There's more. Said another, it's not practical. This is the most bold thing he heard. If we took Jesus seriously in these words, or words that he spoke elsewhere in the New Testament, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, if we took him seriously, people would walk all over us. Someone slaps you on the right cheek. You go to an attorney if you don't kill them on the spot today. 
And what did Jesus say? Turn to him the other also. One pastor said, yeah, but you're out of cheeks by then. This person says, people would walk all over us. Love your enemies, turning the other cheek, and giving to anyone who asks is foolish. It's no way to get ahead, let alone survive in a dangerous world. Which is a person's way of saying, I ain't going there. Clearly, many have embraced similar excuses. I'm saying this on the front end because um, I, I don't think it's a reach to say maybe even some of us. But here, here's something that's hard from the Bible. Don't hear it from a preacher. In fact, if you ever hear something from me and you can't find it in the Bible, call me. We need to adjust what I said. We need to scratch that from the record. Researchers certainly um, have underscored this reality. Gallup and Barna hand us survey after survey, I'm quoting, not from Gutronomy and others, demonstrating that evangelical Christians are as likely to embrace lifestyles. Please understand, this has research behind it. This is not made up stuff. Evangelical Christians are as likely to embrace lifestyles every bit as hedonistic. That means an obsession with pleasure. It must bring me pleasure. Materialistic, they're self-centered and sexually immoral as the world in general. Divorce is more common among born-again Christians than in the general American population. That's a, that's a terrible thing. And those, those numbers might ebb and flow. Only 6% of evangelicals tithe. You, do, you don't have permission, Jesus, for what's in my wallet and my purse. That's the message. Josh McDowell, who works extensively with youth and has his own clinic, has pointed out that the sexual promiscuity of evangelical youth is only a little less outrageous than those of their non-evangelical This is tough. All of this confirms why culture generally views Christians as hypocrites. Statistically speaking, says Giovanni, we are. I want to stop for a second because I feel like we need a big hug because I don't believe that about so many We like to tell people, and you're, you need to hear it if you're new or not. Th this is the safest place I know to be full of problems and holdups and messy. It is. You come here broken. The same way you go to the hospital when you go to an ER, and you need help, and you need it now. You don't need somebody at the door going, whoa, 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 what are you here for? 
it's a nasty cough that could get some of us sick. You know what I mean? By the way, that's not my illustration. Jesus came up with that one. He's the one that said, I didn't come for well people. I came for people that need Kleenex. They're sick. Um, And this is the nudge. Today is meant to just be a devotional nudge uh, for this new series called What If Jesus Was Sick? Um, So in the coming few months, starting today, um, we're going to examine sayings of Jesus and apostles. preparation, just so you know a little quick backstory, we're going to have time for this. In my preparation, I actually uh, did a focus group. I called a group of people together and gave them a the book, What If Jesus Was Serious? That's where I got the title for this message, this series. And I said, would you pick your top 13 statements Jesus made that you think fascinating, and I, I pulled all of that information that'll be part of it. I asked them to identify teaching points of Jesus they found just simply uh, compelling. Might have been, ah, but they went back to it and he's right. Got to do something. Can't do it without his help. And based on their feedback, this series aims at this single conviction. We want our world to take Jesus more seriously. Maybe we should try it first. After all, Jesus finished his unforgettable message with that equally unforgettable statement where he told about two people and their very different responses to what he just said. One he labeled wise. The other not so much. (laughs) And he said it with these words that I finish with. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, is that you? Is that your bias when you read the Bible? Everyone that does that and puts them into practice is like a wise person who builds their house on a rock. We know rain, don't we? The next statement, he says, the rains came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had been founded on that rock. The second one, hearing the same things, Uh, Here's the words that he spoke but didn't put them into practice is thought of as a foolish man who built his house on sand. And the same stuff came into this person's life. The rains came down, the streams rose, the winds blew, beat against the house, but the house
celebrate Jesus, who's the source not only of these words, but of truth that's meant to mess with us. And um, the biggest truth of all is that Jesus Christ, the purpose of his life was not to be served. He's the king, but imagine that. He didn't come to be served. He came to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So I want to ask you, we heard it in Noah, we heard it in Hayden today, is it true for you that he lives in your life? We all have a throne. Someone sits on it. Is it him or is it you? There's a door to your heart, just like the door to my heart. We'll listen, there's a knock on that door. The Bible, Jesus' words, says, if you'll hear my knock and open the door of your life, I will make a move for you. In fact, I won't just wave a wand or something like that. I will come into you and take up residence on the throne of you. You've never done that. God have mercy on me, a sinner. The best start I know. Now, Jesus, hey, come be the co-pilot, the Hansa. Give him the wheel. I don't know what I mean by that, Jesus. It's a perfect start to our journey. Some of you have arrived, and some of you will. Some of you wonder why I get here. So we gather now around the table. gave us a picture and you wanted people to ponder this picture again and again as we look at life. And what you did to win our hearts, to take up residence with your Holy Spirit inside of us. So this morning we're going to bring you bread and cup. Servers are joining me now and we're going to going to bring it to you, and while that's being passed out, it's going to be a song sung to just let you spend time with Jesus, and I hope you'll do that. When everybody's been served, I'll, I'll lead us in taking the cup, which represents Jesus, and the blood is represented by the cup, and the juice that will remind us that it will cost him did so, he went to a cross. Mighty 